read just a couple of passages this morning. Hebrews chapter 2, read just a couple of verses here and then go over to Hebrews chapter 5. And of course, today is the day the world celebrates, it's Palm Sunday. And uh, we're not going to give out palms today, but uh, they had a sale at Home Depot, so I got two to put up front for a week or so, amen, and uh, just to remember that. And uh, we, we want to not get caught up in the events or just going over the, thing, uh, the uh, celebration of things that have happened, but there, there was a purpose behind everything that Jesus did. And, and I want us to... Uh, look in the scriptures this morning and, and uh, we'll uh, need to get a hold of this. These are not uh, uh, beginner passages of scripture this morning, some of the more difficult passages in the Bible. So I'm going to encourage you to listen closely or, or you're going to miss the main point uh, of the entire message. But uh, in Hebrews chapter 2 and starting in verse 9, it says, But we see Jesus who is made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. For it became him, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect, through sufferings. Now turn with me to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. We'll start reading in verse 5. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made an high priest. But he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. As he said also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplication with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation Unto all them that obey him. Now, these two passages here, chapter 2, says that he was made perfect. He was the captain of our salvation, that he was made perfect through suffering. And in Hebrews chapter 5, it says that he learned obedience. Now, we need to remember we are talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, the, the passage that we read was, For whom are all things, by whom are all things. He is the Creator God, yet it tells us that He was made perfect through suffering and that He learned obedience. Now, does that sound just a little confusing to anyone here? Uh, on the surface, it, it should. It's, it's something, it, this is one of the classic passages that those who, who refuse to accept what the Bible teaches about Jesus Christ, this is one of those passages that they stumble at. And, and they like to say, how, how can God be made perfect? He already is perfect. 
How, how can God learn anything? How can He learn obedience if He already is God and is perfect in His obedience? And if He weren't perfect in His obedience, He wouldn't be God. Are you confused yet? No. Because we know that in the Bible, there is no contradiction. And so when God says something that on the surface or the first time or even the tenth time we read it through sounds a little confusing, we have to know something. The confused part is not God. The confused part is not in the translation and the preservation of God's Word. We believe God's able to do that. Word for word and keep His Word down through the ages for us today. Amen? So if there's any confusion at all, guess where it is? Ta-da! It's in me. It's in you. And God doesn't want us to be confused. He wants us to understand. And the simplest summary of these passages is this. It doesn't matter what you know until you do something with it. It really doesn't matter who you are unless you do something with it. And you see, it didn't matter who Jesus is and it didn't matter what He knew, but there had to come a point in history There had to come a place in time where all of this knowledge and all of this ability met with action. And that's what the Passion Week was all about. It was the summation. It was the consummation of God's plan through the ages. Jesus did not learn obedience because he was disobedient and needed to learn how to do things right. But there had to come that point in history where Jesus is God and Jesus is man came together in obedience to the death and suffering of the cross. Was Jesus already perfect before he suffered? Yes. But there had to come that point in time where the suffering actually took place and the payment for our sins was actually made in God's plan to fulfill everything that was in the Scriptures Jesus completed God's plan through His obedience. And that's why, if you're here today with the knowledge of salvation in your soul, that's why you can have it. And if you're here today and you're not sure about your salvation, guess what? You can get it. That's why the Bible was written. And I want us to take some of the events around this week And understand, number one, that what Jesus did, He did on purpose. He did with a purpose. Some have even accused Jesus of manipulating events 
so that he could appear to the Jewish people as their Messiah. Now, anyone who would say that, we have to uh, give them the benefit of, of a doubt. Either they are so grossly ignorant of life and laws of, of evidence and human nature and God's nature, even they, they must be so ignorant of everything that they couldn't hardly understand how to add two plus two. That's one option. Uh, the other option is they purposely want to go against what the Bible teaches. You can only have one or two options. I had a fellow call me up years ago and uh, we got into a little conversation. He wanted to, us to support his mission work. And I began to ask him the questions. And pretty soon it became very apparent that we were just not, we weren't even in the same ballpark, let alone on the same page. And, and, and he made a statement. And I just, I gave him the opportunity to choose between the two. And he said, there you are, you mean-spirited, uh, you, just, you just call me stupid and a liar. I said, no, I am not. I've given you a choice. Now tell me which one you are. You can't be both. Either you're trying to deceive me, or you're so ignorant you don't know what's going on. Now where are you? Now we live in a world where people don't like that kind of stuff. Because everybody's right. Can you, could you tell me the last time when everybody was right about anything? And here's my favorite one. But, but, but they're not wrong about everything. Hey, even the devil isn't wrong about everything, my friend. Just because you're right about something doesn't mean you're right about everything. I mean, we have some books that we sell in our bookstore, and, and uh, I haven't printed up little papers to put in them, but I usually tell people, now, this is a good book, and you can trust most everything that's in it, but there's only one good book that you can trust everything that's in it, and that's this one. Amen? And as we look at the life of Christ... We need to understand that Jesus did some things on purpose because he had direction from the words of God. He had an order from God that he had come to fulfill the word of God. Therefore, he must needs be obedient to the word of God. We get back to our passage in the beginning. He learned obedience. How? By fulfilling the word of God. There came that time. Where it had to happen. And Jesus did that. Now turn with me to John chapter 10. John chapter 10 if you would. In verse 17. It says, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. Now look, here's the key. This commandment have I received of my Father. Jesus said, I received a commandment. That commandment is, I am to lay my life down. 
He has given me power to lay it down. He has given me power to take it again. I will do this. Now, there are some people that have made some pretty amazing predictions about their death. Um, how many of you have ever heard of uh, or seen as you're driving down Christian Science Reading Room? There's a real famous one in Manhattan. Uh, in fact, it's the original one. And uh, the founder of that quote-unquote religion, whatever it is, was a, a woman named Mary Baker. Gloverson, Patterson, I think she had about eight different husbands. She, she claimed to know exactly what God said, but she couldn't keep a marriage straight no matter what. But when she died, she said, death is a state of imagination. And she made the organization put a live telephone line in her coffin and bury it with her so that when she got on the other side, she could call back. And I don't know how many decades it was that they actually paid the phone bill. And if you were to go, I was told, if you were to go out to the cemetery, you'd see the phone line coming right down into the ground. And it was actually buried in her coffin with her so that she could call back from the dead. Now, how many believe she ever used that phone line? It was just a little while ago. I I don't know. I I just one of these days I'll. Uh, take a vacation and look up all these useless facts. Uh, but the Church of Scientology finally got tired of paying the bill and they cut the line. Uh, Greenwood Cemetery holds the body of Houdini every year. There's a group of people that go down on Halloween and gather around his grave and try to make communication with him, because he said, if you can communicate from the other side, I will. He hasn't. And he never will. Only Jesus said, I lay down my life and I'm going to take it up again. He said, I do this in obedience to the commandment that my father gave me. He said, he gave me this instruction. I am going to do it. John chapter 13. Verse 8. Eighteen, I'm sorry. Verse 18. I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it come, that when it is come to pass, ye may believe that I am he. Now, we're not going to take time to read the greater context, but what Jesus was explaining to the disciples here at the Passover table was that one of them, one of the twelve, one of the chosen ones was going to betray him. And Jesus was letting the disciples know 
that he knew who the betrayer was. In fact, he knew who the betrayer was before he chose him to be one of the disciples. Now, uh, in the context of this sermon this morning, you're probably going to hear me. It just comes out naturally. I hate Calvinism. I hate everything that is with it. I hate what it does. And see, people take verses like this and they try to make it say that Jesus chose Judas and made him do these things. Now, in the, in, in, as we go through our sermon, we're going to find out that God does things on purpose and he makes choices. But you make choices too. God does not preordain souls to go to hell. That is not in the Scripture, nor is it in the character of God. Now, if you want a God like that, you go get Him, but you're not going to find Him here. And you're not going to find Him here. You see, Jesus chose Judas because He knew what He would do. He did it on purpose. Why? Because the Scriptures had to be fulfilled. What the Bible said was going to take place, and and there was a choice that Jesus had to make in order for that to happen, and that choice was that Judas would be included in the twelve. Now look at with me John chapter 17. In verse 12, Jesus made a choice. He made a choice concerning his disciples, all except for Judas. Verse 12, while I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I have kept. And none of them is lost but the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now I come to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. Jesus kept the disciples in God's name. How did he do that? By teaching them God's words. What was Jesus' name? One of them. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. What did Jesus do? Over and over again, he would tell the Pharisees, he would tell his disciples, the words that I speak unto you, they're not my words. They come from the Father. I am giving you his words. Why? Because if you don't have God's words, you have no judge, no way to know whether you're being obedient or not. How many of you have ever opened this set of instructions and all it was was pictures? Don't you love that? I mean, number one, if you want me to do something, tell me what you want. Don't show me a picture. Until after I know what you want. Pictures are, are, are good. Uh, somebody said they're worth a thousand words. But they're not worth a thousand words if there's no words with them to tell you what the picture is of. 
uh, we got some plans here to redo our mission room, and, and, and I saw this really neat thing. I saw a picture of it, and then I bought the plans. You know what the plans are? Just a bunch of pictures. I'm not starting on that project until I can sit down and measure out all the pictures and find out the words that tell me what's on the picture. I mean, it's, it's frustrating when people do that. But see, Jesus kept the disciples in God's words. He told them things that they would do. He told them things that they didn't even understand until after He was ascended into heaven. But He kept them in God's name. He kept them in God's name by using God's words. That's how he knew he was obedient. One more, and then we'll move on. John chapter 19 and verse 28. Jesus was on the cross here. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Jesus knew everything that needed to be done had been done. Everything that He was supposed to do on the cross, everything He was supposed to do up to this point was finished, except for one thing. The Bible said that, Psalm 22, that He would be dried like a potsherd. He would be thirsty. And so He cried out, I thirst in fulfillment of the Scripture. The next thing he would say, it is finished. And then, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. What, what I'm trying to do here is establish a pattern. And, of course, if God says it once, that's good enough. That should be good enough. Amen? But when we see it repeated over and over and over again, Jesus said, I lay down my life, I take it again, this power I have, why? Because I got a commandment for God. He said, I've chosen Judas because I want the Scripture to be fulfilled. He said, I've kept the disciples in thy name by giving them thy words and teaching them all about God. And he said, I'm going to fulfill the Scriptures, I'm going to do what the Scriptures say. That's what those difficult, quote-unquote, passages in Hebrews is telling us. You see, God has an overall plan. He knows what is going to happen. And I can trust in God's planning to keep me safe. To bring my soul safely to the right side of eternity. Amen? And we can see this and we could talk about so many different things. But since we're in John chapter 19 already, let's just back up a few verses. Verse 24, this was something that Jesus had no control over. In verse 24 it says, The soldiers that crucified him, they said, Therefore among themselves, let us not rend it, talking about his coat, his, his garment that he wore. And what's it saying? 
Let it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, that saith, they parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. Therefore, these, I mean, these things, therefore, the soldiers did. Now, did Jesus have a controlling authority to command the soldiers as he was hanging on the cross? He said, don't tear that, guys. Uh, there's a prophecy in the book of Psalms that says you need to gamble for my garments. Do you think the Roman soldiers would have listened to him if he'd have said that? I, I want to challenge you. There was something bigger than the soldiers going on here and moving human events and human nature to fulfill God's will. You see, God's bigger than you and I. Amen? He is bigger than this world in which we live. It all belongs to Him. Psalm twenty-two, eighteen was the prophecy there. We get down to verse 36 of John chapter 19, and it says that the soldier, they break the legs of the, uh, of the thief on one side, they broke the legs of the other on the other side, but when they came to Jesus, He was dead already. Verse 36 says... For these things were done that the Scripture should be fulfilled. The bone of him shall not be broken. You can't manipulate those things, my friend. There is no living person that could make that happen. God had to be active in lives that were not even dedicated to Him, that had no knowledge of Him, that did not care a lick about God, but God was still moving. You say, boy, preacher, you almost sound like some of them Calvinists when you talk about this. No. I'm telling you that God is a God that can change. Well, He doesn't change history. He makes history. He causes events to happen. Let's go to Acts chapter 4. I love this verse. The disciples understood this. It's amazing. They didn't even need John Calvin to show up to help them. Because they didn't believe in that. They believed in God. Now we get to Acts chapter 4. And and let's look at verse 25. It says, Who by the mouth of thy servant David has said, Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? Does anybody know where that comes from? Psalm chapter 2. If you have some time this afternoon, read it. The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed both Herod, (coughs) excuse me, and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. And you get this? Here's the list of people. That were gathered against Jesus. Herod, Pilate, Gentiles, the people of Israel. They were all together. Look at verse 28. For to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. Don't you love that? How many of you are worried about current events? How many of you are troubled by what's going on in our world? Uh, If you're not, 
You you ought to be to at least a certain degree. It, It ought to bother you. What our Congress people stand up for, what our senators endorse, uh, our legislators talk about as being good and righteous, it, it, ought to, it ought to bother you. But you need to understand something. They can only do what God's going to let them do. All of those people got together. Do you know how much scheming and plotting the Pharisees did? It's recorded in the Gospels. I mean, sometime as you're reading through the Gospels, just ask the Holy Spirit to keep in your mind the plotting and the planning of the Pharisees and and read through the Gospel stories and, and ask the Lord to just kind of make a list in your soul of all the plotting and the planning of these people. I mean, it's It's unbelievable. All that they did. And yet the summation of the entire thing is right here. That as they got together, all of their plotting, all of their planning, everything that they did, they only accomplished what God had already said they were going to do. That should be comfort to your souls. But now... We're going to take God's purpose and God's plan and go back to the book of Hebrews and remember those words that Jesus was made perfect and Jesus learned obedience. And I want you to get something for us today. You see, God has a plan. God has a plan for your life. God has direction that He wants you to have. He has certain things in your life that He wants you to accomplish. I tell you, it's a frightening thing sometimes to think about God's plan and God's will for your life. And a lot of people, every time, not every time, but often, uh, as I've had the privilege over the years of preaching in chapel services at Heartland, one of the things that I just like to visit and revisit again before those college students is getting a hold of God's plan for your life. Uh, If you could accomplish what God wants to be accomplished with your life, let me explain something to you. There's no greater thing that could happen to you than to just do what God wants you to do. But you know the hard part about that is? It's the daily living. I mean, I'll tell you what, I love to tell the story of Open Door Bible Baptist Church. I just do. It's an amazing story. Because God brought my family here. You know how many people in Astoria we knew when Julia and I moved in? I mean, we, we knew, uh, my wife had actually met John Rivera in another church. 
But we had no idea that he would ever come and be a part of our church. We had met some people, but we didn't know any living person in Astoria. And we came, and we worked a year in another church in another part of Queens that since moved and changed a lot of things. But we held our first services. Brother Clayton was there. Brother Marshall was there. We had some people visit from the neighborhood, which was great. None of them stayed. Then we lost our place to meet, and then we found the Seventh-day Adventist Church, and we were there for about four years, and then God began to do the work that brought us into this building. And God worked miracle after miracle so that we could be a church. God just worked miracles. And people have often asked, how did you know it was God's will to buy that building? Well, it was actually fairly simple. There wasn't anything else available. Miss Mariana, I remember all the buildings that we looked at and we failed and we looked at and we had to say no and we looked at and we said, no, that's not going to work. And finally, we got one. We had a promise of finance. We had everything in line. There's only one problem. It was too small. We would never grow if we moved into that place. And I remember going to our people and saying, now listen, we've got a revival meeting with Brother Clayton coming up in a couple of weeks. We just, we got to give this building thing up. We just got to say, no, it's, if it's not following the pattern that we believe God has set for us, we can't move into some place that we can't even have a promise that we can make sure, make it a church building. And so we gave up, and I mean, there was, I don't know, I wasn't crying on the outside, but I sure was on the inside. I was trying to be tough for all you people and make sure you knew I was strong. But I'll tell you what, I was just broken inside, and I said, Lord, what are we going to do? We're never going to get a building. It was during that revival meeting that Brother Clayton and Brother Marshall came over here, and we laid our hands on the lamppost out front and said, Lord, if you'll give us this building, we'll move forward. And you know what he did? Because God has a plan. The problem is you've got to find out what it is. And it's not some mystical thing. It's not mysterious. Uh, I, I hate the bumper pool mentality of God's will. Well, I'll just go over here. Up, up, up. Obstacle in the way. Let me try this. And I'm not going to walk over that way because I'll end up in the baptistry, I promise you. Uh, that would not be fun. But people just think they blindly bounce off the bumper stops of life until they have a free path and that must be God's will. That's not the way it works, my friend. God has a plan. He has a purpose for your life. He has a reason for saving your soul. And if you're here today and you're not saved, He's got a desire to have you know that you are eternally secure in Him and that your sins are forgiven by Him. But you see, just like Jesus was perfected by suffering and He learned obedience through the death of the cross, so you've got some things to learn. You've got some things that you have to do. You see, Judas made some choices 
God knew he would make those choices. And that's why he chose him. See, John chapter 12 and verse 6, talking about Judas, when the woman anointed Jesus with the very expensive ointment, this he said, not because, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and he had the bag and he bare what was put therein. Now, could you imagine being the treasurer of Jesus' disciples? That was Judas' job. How would you steal and get away with it? You ever thought about that? I mean, you eat and sleep with this man, you travel, you walk through the land of Israel. How would you get your hand in the bag and steal and somebody not know what you were doing? You have to be pretty good now, wouldn't you? You know what? You'd have to think about every move you made. You would have to plan it. You would have to take some care so that the little special things that you did for yourself to please yourself, nobody else knew about. Apparently, John may have had some idea, but of course that was confirmed after his betrayal and all of the other things. But when John asked Jesus at the Last Supper who was going to betray him, nobody pointed to Judas. They all said, Lord, is it going to be me? Am I the one that's going to do this? That's how good a thief Judas was. Could I challenge you to think about this, that it took daily thought process for Judas to keep himself from being discovered. It took a lot of conniving and a lot of planning and a lot of choices, little choices, on a fairly regular basis that put him on that collision path to become the betrayer of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we make little choices every day. We make little decisions that determine where we're going to end up ten years from now. What's going to be going on in our heart and life? We have to make those choices just as Jesus was perfected through His suffering. Why? He completed God's will. That's what the word perfect in the Bible means. It means not missing any parts. That's how he learned obedience. Is because there came that point in time where he just had to do it. I like telling the story of what God did for our church. But you know something? We were here for almost six years before we started the building purchase. And there was an awful lot of dull, daily things that had to go on so that we could get to that point to where we were frustrated enough with life and trying to find a building that we were willing to accept the one that God had for us. Does that make sense? 
See, most people quit before they ever get to the point to where God wants to do something for them. Because they're too tired of doing the little things. They get frustrated with doing the things that they don't get credit for. Doing the things that nobody notices. I've had people over the years, Pastor, how in the world do, do you understand the Bible by just reading it? I said, well, the easiest way to do that is read through your entire Bible about ten times, and then you'll start getting the picture. But I've never read through them once. Well, that's why you don't understand the Bible. You've got to get into it. You've got to read through After about 25 or 30 times, it'll start making sense to you. Uh, once you get over 50 or 60... Hey, guess what? You really start getting something out of it. But I dare say most Christians never get there. But you're a preacher. You have to get there. But you're a Christian. It's His words. You need to get there too. You need to make that choice. You see, the disciples made choices. I hope you're still there in Acts chapter 4 because we're going to pick up reading right where we left off. In verse 29, it says, And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching forth thy hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done in the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. Does that sound like our pattern? See, Jesus knew God's plan. He knew God's words. And he ordered his life to obey God's words. He kept his life in the boundaries of God's words. And the disciples followed that pattern. They knew what Jesus had said. Jesus had said, you're going to be witnesses to me, both in Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. You're going to have to tell people what I've done. They got persecuted. They got called in. They got threatened. They got beaten. And they said, now we see something. All that plotting and planning, all that things that those Herod and Pilate and the Gentiles and and all the Jewish leaders, all those things that they did, they only got accomplished obedience to God's Word. By the way, was Judas obedient to God's Word? Yes, he was. He fulfilled the prophecies that he was destined to fulfill. Not because God rolled up the, whatever that little cage is where they put all the numbers in at the lottery. Ah, Judas! Ha <laughs> ha! This is going to be that dirty, rotten so-and-so that's going to betray Jesus. Program it in, angels. No. That's the Calvinistic approach to the Scriptures. You know why? Because it makes sense to our human little minds. And it takes the responsibility away from you. 
See, God doesn't work that way. God, in his infinite wisdom, looked. And he could see the future as the present. And he knew that Judas would make those choices to be the thief. Would make those choices to walk along with Jesus every day and not believe a word that he said. And he said, I can use this guy to fulfill this horrible prophecy and to be known as the son of perdition. What a terrible thing. But he also found a big mouth ignorant fisherman called Peter. I love Peter in the Bible. He is so human. Amen. He makes so many mistakes. He messed up so bad and Jesus still used him. Amen. If there's hope for Peter, guess what? There's hope for this Peter. There's hope for you. There's hope for every one of us in here because God has a plan. But you know what the disciples did? They made a choice based upon the words of God that Jesus had given them that we're supposed to tell people about Jesus. And they said, Dear God, we want to do what Your Word says. And they did more in their generation than any other group of people have ever accomplished in any generation. Amen? They just followed the pattern. They just got a hold of God's Word. You know what? There was an awful lot of dull days in prison for the Apostle Paul. But he said, these bonds have been given to me to the furtherance of the gospel. But guess what? Paul still had to wake up and change every morning. Paul still had to wake up when he was in the house arrest in Rome with no personal freedom to go anywhere he wanted. If anybody came to him, if he was going to witness to anybody, they had to come to him. Well, guess what? He witnessed to those of Caesar's household because they were close at hand. I'll tell you what. God's plan cannot be improved upon. And if you rebel against God's plan and God's direction in your life, I've got one thing to tell you. You're still going to fit into God's plan. But it's not going to be fun, my friend. It's not going to be pleasant. You're not going to get what you want. You're going to endure the wrath of Almighty God in eternity in a place called hell. But that's what the Bible says is going to happen. You see, if you don't choose to learn obedience... By doing what the Bible says, you're never going to get saved. Once you're saved, if you don't choose to be obedient and follow God's words, even when it doesn't make sense, but just follow them because they're God's words. That's when God uses you as a part of His plan. There are so Many insignificant, unknown people in God's kingdom. Do you think that's what Jesus meant with another difficult statement, by the way? The last will be first and the first will be last. 
I think it is. See, Jesus isn't looking for first. He's looking for less. He's looking for people who are willing to just obey His Word. He didn't give you a commandment to die and to rise again because that was Jesus' job. He gave you a commandment to take up your cross daily and to follow Him. John chapter 20. Let's just turn there. Verse 31. But these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through His name. How many of you remember a day when you did that? When you believed what was written in this book. Paul put it this way, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, What does it say? Thou shalt be saved. I was talking with a person and they had some doubts about their salvation, some very traumatic events going on in their life. And says, you know, with everything happening, I'm just not sure. Could I, could I, uh, I think I need a reaffirmation of my salvation. And I, I said, well, Would you be willing to give me a little bit of time? I said, I think I can do better than that. And the person looked at me a little funny and I said, you see, you can't reaffirm faith. Either you have it or you don't. Praying again just to make sure that you're saved is not faith in God. It's faith in your prayer. And if you ever want to lose faith in your ability to pray, just start keeping a prayer list. All the things you pray for that God says no to. You know why? Because He's smarter than you are. Amen? God does not need your prayers. We need our prayers. Prayer doesn't change God. Prayer changes us. So that God is free to do what He wanted to do in the first place. Amen? You see, we have a pattern. It's explained in the book of Hebrews and it would be very confusing if you don't keep it in the context of all the Scriptures. How was Jesus perfected? He completed everything that God had written for him to do. That's one of the reasons it says it is finished behind me. Someone made a comment uh, just the other week. Isn't pastor going to take that it is finished down? We know the auditorium is finished. That's not why it's up there. 
Fortunately, it was a little child that said that. No, the reason it's up there is because Jesus finished. He was obedient. He was made perfect because he did everything God told him to do. That's how he learned obedience. Not that he needed to learn as you and I learn. But that body that was as human as every one of ours here, that miraculously and mysteriously housed the incarnate eternal God. I don't know how that worked. I just know that's what the Bible says. Had to do those things in fulfillment of God's Word. And now He wants you and I to follow the pattern. You see, we can believe in God's plan because we believe in God. Amen? But there still has to come that personal choice on a daily basis. And if I were to ask you how many have failed at making those personal choices this past week, every hand would have to go up, including mine. Because we're human. But you see, that's why the Bible says if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we can start again next week. We can start again this afternoon. We can start by trying to obey His Word. You know what? His Word will bring you to salvation. Once you're saved, what should happen next? You should get baptized. Amen. You should make a public testimony of what God did personally inside of you. What does baptism do? Baptism brings you into the fellowship of the local church. That means you're to serve God in the church. You know what? I'm thankful for that God called me to be a preacher. But... If I were really plain this morning, I and I'm not trying to say this in any way, please take it for just the truth that it is. If nobody came to listen to me preach, what kind of preacher would I be? You see, God's called people to be a part of our church. And you know what? Those little parts have done some amazing things over the years. I haven't figured it all out yet, but sometime between now and the 1st of May, our missions giving is finally going to go over that million dollar mark. Isn't that incredible? And you know what? We don't have someone that has given us any legacy gifts, any huge inheritances. Our missions giving with very few exceptions has come in in our regular weekly offerings. That's pretty miraculous. You see, but that's how God accomplishes His plans. That's how He does great things with little things. You say, I hate my job. I hate everything that's about it. It has nothing to do to encourage me in serving Christ. Does it pay your bills? Does it allow you to be honest? 
with the people that live in this world? Does it allow you to tithe and give? Well, I'll tell you what, with the present administration, you better keep it. Amen? Now, if you're working as a bartender, get an honest job. But I don't care how mundane or how terrible your job is. If God's given it to you and you're able to pay your bills and serve Him and be honest, let me tell you something. That's what the Bible says. If you're walking daily with the Savior. That's what the Bible says. It's the little things. It's the daily things. See, you're going to come into God's plan somewhere. Either purposeful obedience to it. Or open rebellion against it. You're there. You're either going to follow Jesus' pattern or Judas's pattern. You can't follow both. You say, well, I'll never be as bad as Judas. Well, that doesn't matter. There's lots of people that weren't as bad as Judas, but they're in the same hell as he is today. And they'll never, ever get out. That's why you just need to follow Jesus day by day by day. Praise God, you can't lose your salvation once you got it. But God has so much more He wants to give you and use you for than just getting saved. And all God's people said. Heavenly Father, we come before you. We ask that you would help us to understand the pattern that is established here in these passages that how Jesus just simply... Literally fulfilled your word. And Lord, I ask that you would give each one of us here today a heart to simply and literally fulfill your word. Lord, if someone's here today that does not know you as their Savior, Lord, my prayer is that they would come and let some, let, let us take the Bible. Show them how they can know their sins are forgiven and heaven is their home. Lord, others that have been saved, that have yet to follow you through the waters of baptism, through church membership, that, Lord, they would just surrender to your word today. Lord, I pray for others that are struggling under the burdens of life. That they just give up and pray that your words would be obeyed in their life. Help us, Lord, to simply be obedient to your words. That as our Savior was perfected, so we may be prepared for eternity. That as our Savior learned obedience, so we too in a much different way, learn obedience by simply doing what the Bible says. Help us, Lord, to worship you with our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together, brother.